all been to the fair yet this week? Down to the county fair to check it out? I, uh, my wife and I and, and the kids, we went the other day to watch uh, pig wrestling. Um, and I, there's so many awful jokes I want to make about pig wrestling, and I'm not going to. Um, but, but we were walking around, and the storm set in. Um, a lot of wind and a lot of rain and lightning and everything else. And, and we ducked into the, the building that they had all the vendors in. And we walked around and looked at vendors' uh, wares. Um, and and uh, I, I, there's a lady there, because at every Montana thing I've ever gone to, uh, there's somebody selling homemade pottery, and I don't know what that's about. Um, but, but without fail, and I, uh, I, I've been looking for, for a couple of years. I, I drink coffee like, a, like crazy. I mean, I'm a, I'm a caffeine addict, um, and I, I'm trying to not drink so much coffee, and so I drink tea now. And uh, so I need a really big teapot, and I've been looking for a teapot that's large enough, which sounds kind of weird. But so every time I'm at a pottery place, I look at teapots, trying to find something so big that I'll be able to simulate the awesomeness of coffee with tea. And um, I I found this teapot, which um, my wife and I have had some discussion as to whether or not it's tacky. (laughs) Let's get a quick vote. Who says yes? I, uh, I will tell you the other thing about this teapot is that it is just a hair too small. Um, like, way too small. Um, and, and so I saw this thing, and I thought, oh, a teapot. And I, as a natural reaction, I began looking at it. Um, and I, I, I'm clumsy. Some of you all know me and are surprised by that. Um, and I, I, I've over the years developed a habit of breaking things that I touch or dropping things or what have you. And it doesn't happen as often now because somehow, even though I can't hit a baseball you know, or win in an Xbox game, like I'm not that coordinated, but I, I've developed the ability, like when something falls, I can literally pull my hand back and grab it out of the air. I'm like a kung fu master. Like, um, and people will say, wow, that was impressive. Anybody ever seen me do that? It's like superhuman. Um, except the other day, <laughs> when I opened the lid to this teapot, and I looked at it, and this, it's got a little notch where the lid is supposed to have a little, like, thing that you put in and turn it so the lid won't fall off while you're pouring it. And I picked up the lid, and I looked inside, and I noticed that the lid didn't have, well, I didn't notice. I just picked it up and looked inside, and then I closed it, and I thought, wait a minute, there was a notch there. Did the lid have a notch? And so I picked up the lid and I dropped it. And this is where it gets complicated because there's all this other like pottery. Lots and lots of pottery. And so it's hard to grab something without knocking something else down. And, <laughs> and um, the, 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 the lid to this teapot fell. And um, it took me 20 minutes to gather all the pieces it was. It was a long time. The wife and kids had left by that point. Like, I was alone, wandering around, like, crawling around on the floor of this building. I think they had had animals in it last year, I'm pretty sure. Um, it was like my kid's bedroom. Um, and, and I was able to mostly piece it together, and the, the guy there gave me a piece of, I mean, like, it is bad. And I, I have this, can you hear it? And I was looking at this teapot, and I was kind of thinking, wow, I'm sorry that happened. 
Because first off, there is no way in the world I would have bought it. (laughs) And secondly, um, now that I own it, which I could have run away really fast, I suppose. I mean, live and learn. Um, (laughs) Now that I own it, um, I, I either don't have a lid or... I, I, the best I can do is glue the old lid together, right? And, and has anybody ever owned a piece of, like, anything that you've glued back together? Does it ever look quite right? Um, and, and the guy said, well, you can call the lady, and she could maybe fire another one. And I thought, well, the world really needs another piece of pottery like that. I, and now I can't call her. And if any of you go to the fair and tell her I said any of this stuff, like, I will find you. <laughs> and this was the Haver County Fair. <laughs> oh, um. <laughs> it's an exaggeration. Um, so as we dive into Nehemiah again, um, um, I'm sorry, we're already running late, um, but I, I think we started late, so that's my excuse for all of you guys who are guests today. I haven't gone long yet. We started late. Um, as we dive into Nehemiah, um, the book of Nehemiah, like, and, and I'm going to bring this back around. We haven't forgotten it. I'll never forget that thing. Um, but the book of Nehemiah um, is a story of God's people, the Jewish people. Um, in the Old Testament, there is a like starting in Genesis, God establishes them as a nation, and there's a bunch of stuff that happens, and they rebel, and they disobey, and they do bad stuff, and they eventually like start sacrificing their children to pagan gods and all kinds of other stuff, and God like gets really angry and says, all right, that's it. I'm done with you. Actually, not I'm done with you. He, he punishes them, and he punishes them by kicking them out of their homeland, the nation of Israel, that that plot of land. Early in the Bible, God promises them this land. He says, this is going to be your land forever. And he makes a contract with them where he says, you be my people, I'll be your God, and this will be your land. And it will be your home, and you will be safe there, because what is better than home, right? Um, And that's your spot. And they rebel, and they do all kinds of other things, and and, um, eventually God kicks them out. And he kicks them out for the purpose of getting their attention, right? I, uh, my son, he is two, um, and he is uh, stubborn. I have no idea where he got that from. And he's figured out recently that um, if he doesn't like something, sometimes he can hit his sister, and it works. Um, then he's transferred this new principle to me, and, and he's got an important lesson to learn about hitting me. Um, and this morning, he wasn't happy with something I had done. He was running around with a cup of grape juice on the carpet, and it's not my carpet. And so I took it away, and he hit me. And then I put him over his, my knee and explained to him the power differential. <laughs> and I didn't enjoy it. I, I don't like spanking my son. I don't, right? And he enjoyed it less. They say, this will hurt me more than it will hurt you. Mm-hmm. And he went and found his mom, and it probably hurt her more than it hurt either of us because, you know, he had to sit and scream at her for an hour. Um, so, so, you know, th- this, this punishment thing, this is essentially what happens to Israel. God kicks him out and says, you guys are going to need to learn a lesson. And so the nation of Babylon comes in, 
um, the Chaldeans is another way to call them, and they like sack the country, they burn down the city, they siege it, lots of people die, it is horrible, 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 um, and then everybody who's left gets dragged off in chains as slaves in Babylon, and they live for 70 years in slavery until they get brought back by the Persians, it's a whole long story, which I'm trying to make short, because I'm trying not to go too long today, um, but we did start late, um, and so they've just gotten back, and the story of Nehemiah is the story of rebuilding the city. And they rebuilt a wall to protect them, which is the majority of the story. And where we pick it up here, the last few chapters, Nehemiah started to rebuild the people, right? The people are rebellious, right? They figure out what God wants them to do, and then they do the opposite, right? And up until this point, they have not been bothering with most of this. And they've been introduced to, like, the law. This is God's law. You need to learn this stuff and try not to do these things that are not supposed to be done. And they start learning this stuff, and they begin to really struggle. And they begin to really repent and fast and pray and, like, try to fix all of this stuff, um, which I think I have a uh, background thing I should be in. Sorry. Um, My slides. I forget because I'm um, flaky. Uh, So they've rebuilt the wall, they're rebuilding the people, and there's this religious revival going on. In the previous chapter, they gathered, they worshipped, they sang songs, they prayed, they did all this other stuff, and they said, we are going to do better, okay? We are going to do better. Anybody ever watch your kids do that? Sorry, Dad, from this day forward, I will do better. I did it every time a report card came out. I swear I will do better. I swear I will do better. I swear I will do better. Did I? Not usually. Um, But these people, they say, listen, God, we know how bad this was. We are going to do better. And so they do this thing. They sign a covenant. A covenant is like a contract. You sign them every day when you click I agree without reading the agreement, right? Um, Or when you get a cell phone, you say, well, I agree to pay these bills and you provide me this service. And so they sign a covenant. They write up this whole, like, document, and then Um, which happened in the previous chapter, and then like in the first 27 verses, which we're not going to read because it's a long list of names, and I'm really bad at reading names, um, 84 people sign this document. So they all sign this agreement saying, God, these are the things we are going to do. We are going to do better starting this day forward. Um, Even though 84 people signed it, there was probably a whole heck of a lot more people who agreed to it. Uh, Women and children did not like have were not would not have signed something like this right so you've got 84 people and their wives and their daughters and their kids and everybody else like all of these folks they all agree god we are going to do better right um we do it all the time in our culture uh anybody resolve in january to lose weight anybody gain it (laughs) um we say you know i will do better at this i will do better at that Um, And so all of these people had heard God's word thoroughly. They are committing themselves to obey what they had heard, and they pick out some specific stuff that they're like, we're going to be super serious about this. Um, And the other thing to note here is this is a huge community event. This is not one guy, right? This is lots of guys. This is a crowd of guys saying, as a community, we will stand together and we will do better, okay? Um, So we're going to dive into this. Um, It's only like 10 verses, and we got some stuff we're going to talk about with it. Um, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who had separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, and all who have knowledge and understanding join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath 
to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our the Lord our Lord and his rules and his statutes. Okay, so basically everyone who's present, they all gather up, and these are all only the people who had separated themselves from the folks of the land. Now, there's a tricky thing here is they didn't conquer this country. They were brought back. There were all kinds of people living there already, right? And they began living amongst these folks. And there's a crazy thing that, that happens sometimes when cultures live next to each other. They, they start combining. Anybody ever had Tex-Mex? Like real Mexican food versus real Tex-Mex? Real Mexican food is not Tex-Mex, right? Like real Mexican food is very different. But what has happened is Americans living amongst folks who are of Hispanic descent have taken Hispanic food and combined it with American food and sold it at Taco Bell. Um, and it's called a syncretism, like a, like a social syncretism. What these guys had started to do was they had started to say, well, wait a minute. Our religion's pretty cool, but so is yours. Look at that. You, you got like this statue where you set fire to your kids. I sometimes think about setting fire to my kids. And so let's pick this up. It's in smaller increments is actually the way it happens, right? Um, and the churches, a lot of churches have done this. A lot of people have done this where they've said, this is what God wants from me. But you know what? I bet this is okay. Small step to the side. You know, hey, you know what? I think this is okay. Another small step to the side, right? Um, when ships go off course, they don't go off course because a huge gust of wind turns them. They go off course because a small gust of wind coming from the side tips them about a degree at a time, a degree at a time, and a degree at a time, and eventually you're turned in the wrong direction. Um, and that's what was happening with them. And so the text emphasizes that these are the folks that had backed up and said, you know what, we're going to live amongst you, but we ain't going to be like you, right? We will love you. We'll treat you with respect. We'll do business with you. We'll do all of these things, but we ain't going to live the way you live because it's not our living, right? Um, and it's not a very easy thing to do. There's a lot of pressure that comes with it. Um, can I have the next slide, please? Um, since I'm apparently having technical difficulty. Um, we will not give our daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for our sons. So the first thing they say is, we're not going to intermarry. Um, for these folks, the reason it was a big deal to intermarry is the Jewish faith was heavily connected to who you were related to. Um, earlier today, we had every Phillips stand up, right? <laughs> um, we know they're Phillipses because they all look like Carly. Um, <laughs> and, and there's sort of this lineage thing, like, like, but for the Jewish people, what had happened is, um, God had made a promise to Abraham and he said, every one of your descendants is a child of this promise. So everyone gets the same inheritance. You're all a part of it. Right. And so it was a big deal for the Jewish people to be a part of that. And the other thing is that when you marry somebody, um, anybody who's been married for any length of time, you, you understands this, there's a degree to which you take on their stuff their way of living, their way of doing, all of these things, you have to make it a part of who you are. You can't get around that, right? Like it's a part of how we live. And so the Jewish people were commanded, hey, don't marry people who are not Jewish. Um, if somebody wants to be like you, if somebody converts to Judaism, you can go ahead and marry them, but you're not going to like intermarry. Stop doing it because it's, you're chasing after things that aren't what you're about. And so they, you know, these folks have unified values. They have unified agreement. This is who we're going to be. And so the first thing they've said is, hey, we're going to stop intermarrying. We're going to stop chasing after things that are not about following God. Um, 
And if the peoples of the lands bring in goods and any grains on, on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them and on the Sabbath or on, a, or on a holy day. And we will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. It's always struck me as really interesting when I meet folks who are serious about like Sunday. We do not work on Sunday. You know, and I've met folks who growing up, they were like, well, we weren't ever allowed to play baseball in the yard on Sunday because that looked like work. And so we weren't allowed to do it. But we could go to the supermarket and let those folks work for us. But, you know, and and what they're saying is, hey, you know what, we've kind of gotten lax on this. We're supposed to take a day off to spend with you. And so we're really actually going to take a day off. You know, we're actually going to not work. Not like, you know, when I take a day off, I take a day off, but I still answer work calls. I still like, like do work. I mean, I never actually take days off. Like these guys are saying, God, we're supposed to take a day and set it aside and spend it with you. We're going to do it. Um, and they agreed to not harvest on the seventh year and to let go of debts on the seventh year, which is a huge deal, right? That's like saying, hey, John owes me $50, and because it's the seventh year, I have to let that debt go. That's hard. Um, but it was something that was in the law of Moses. And they had decided, well, we're going to take this back on. It's probably the case, watch this, um, there was a point in time where the Israelites basically stopped following it. And it's probably the case that part of the reason they did this was because the Jewish people at the time, they were cheating each other, right? You had a handful of really rich folks who were um, basically lending money to the poor people and putting it at interest rates they could never pay back. And they were saying, well, you know what? We understand you can't pay it back, so we're going to go ahead and take your farm, but you can keep working it for us. Oh, can't pay us back this year? Well, let's go ahead and take your kids. They'll be our slaves, but you need to keep working this farm. And they were, like, cheating each other that way. And so they, the reason they did this is because they said, well, in the past, this is how we've lived. We're going to stop that. And it's important to note they are not just picking rules to arbitrarily follow. They're looking for places where they have said, I am ticking off God. I am failing. I need to do better. And they start working on doing better. Everybody with me? Is it warm in here? Yeah, I turned the air conditioner on last night, and it's still warm. Um, We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel, which is like a a monetary unit, for the service of of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbath, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offering to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of God. Um, I think the second half of this. Uh, We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God, according to our fathers' houses at the time appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written. Now watch this. Um, In the Old Testament, there was a regulation for tithe, right? It was told to the people, when you earn money, you give God a 10% of this and a 10% of that and a 10% of that, it actually ends up being about 30% of their annual income. That's a lot, right? Um, There are folks who preach, you must give the tithe, but they don't talk about 30%. (laughs) Like, give 30% or else. And I've heard people say, well, your money's cursed if you don't do that and all this other stuff because they take this law and they say, well, we still have to follow this. Um, In Christ, and we're going to get to this a little more in depth, in Christ, right, the Old Testament law changes. We do not follow the law. We do not follow the law out of obligation and fear. Everybody with me? Um, we do not follow the law 
because if I don't do these ceremonial things, wash my hands before I eat and all of these other things, God will squish me. Like That's not why we do these things. We operate out of family. The tithe is a part of the ceremonial law. The New Testament talks about giving. It talks about giving with a cheerful heart, right? It talks about giving as an act of worship. It talks about giving as a part of being connected intimately with God. However, nowhere in the Bible or in the New Testament does it say give 30% of your income. It doesn't say it. It doesn't say 10%. Why do we talk about 10%? We talk about 10% because it's something we look at in the Old Testament and say 10% is there. I am supposed to give with a cheerful heart. Well, how much am I supposed to give? Pre-tax or post-tax? Am I supposed to do this or am I supposed to do that? And a lot of people will say, well, you know what? I aim for 10% because that's kind of the guideline I go with, right? We're commanded. We're commanded to love Jesus and love our brothers and sisters and to do his work, right? Um, tithe is about that. And I, I don't like talking about money. Um, and this is a topic I've spent an awful lot of time worrying about because I I know people who say, if you give 10% or don't give 10%, God will hate you. You know, like, um, that's not the way it is. Um, We give with a cheerful heart. We give as worship. Um, These guys are saying, though, they're looking and they're like, man, we've screwed this up. We better start giving. And they say, well, we'll give 10%. Um, Well, actually, they don't even say 10%. I'm sorry. They say a third of a shekel, um, which is complicated. It's basically a unit of money. When the law was written, they didn't really use money. Um, And so it's a little more complicated. Um, So they say, well, we're going to take care of the church. Uh, 35 to 37, we are almost done with the chapter or the the chapter, and we're going to talk a little bit about application. We oblige ourselves to bring first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord, also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and all our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of our tree, of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priests and to the chambers of the house of God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from the ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in our towns where we labor. Last verse, and the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with all the Levites, and when the Levites receive the tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of God, to the chambers of the storehouse. So, there's all this stuff about giving first fruits. Here's what this is about. I have never made anything grow successfully in my yard. I am the worst gardener on the planet. Everybody with me? Um... We planted peppers one year in, in a small patch of our yard, and it was mostly weeds by the end, but I don't know what weeds and pepper plants look like, so we just let it all go and hope for the best. Um, if I were to pull peppers that first grew, there's a good chance I ain't getting any more. Everybody with me? Um, there's always a chance with farming. I talked to um, Larry the other day. We were talking about hail, and he said, you know what? This is what's going on, but it could hail tomorrow right? We don't know. Once you have fruit coming off your tree, what you pick is what you pick, and it's what you've got in your hand. These folks were saying, you know what? The first thing I pick up, I'm going to give to God, because that's what God commanded them to do. Give what's most important to you, meaning like the assured thing, and your first sons, dedicate them to God. Man, that's hard, right? That is hard. My father-in-law, well, no, I'm not going to talk about that. Um, the, The first fruits, like he says, listen, we're, we're supposed to give the best and the first back to God. This is what we're supposed to do. Um, and they say, you know what? It's going to be hard, but we're going to do this. 
We are committed. We're going to do it. And so the chapter ends with these folks committing. I'm sorry, 39. (laughs) One more verse. Um, The chapter, it comes up, and these people have basically committed. Like, look, we're going to do God's deal. We're going to give back. We're going to take care of the church. We're going to take care of the people. We're going to do these things. We're going to obey. We're going to do it. Um, They have signed a contract saying we will do it. Now, here's where this gets tricky for us, right? Um, First off, they are doing this out of fear because they have seen the result of not obeying God. Everybody with me? Um, There are some things my daughter does out of fear because she knows if she doesn't, she is in a huge amount of trouble, right? I really wish she would do things out of love for me always, but she's four, and four-year-olds, like, they love themselves first, and candy second, and cartoons, and family members are like 12th down the list, um, and obeying family members is even lower. Um, these folks are obeying out of, um, out of fear to a degree. They're looking and saying, man, we have screwed up, and our father screwed up, and our grandfather screwed up, and they're like, God, here, we agree, we are signing our names on it. We are in this. We are going to do better. Anybody ever ask this? Anybody ever wake up in the morning one day, find yourself in a heap of trouble and say, God, if you will just get me out of this, I will. Anyone? How long does that usually last? What, 10 minutes? It was fun working. I worked with, uh, in a mental health facility with kids, and they would come out of jail. And <laughs> I remember talking to a kid once, and he said, yep. I said to God, if you will just get me out of jail... Um, I will commit my life to following you. And I was like, well, how's that working out? He's like, well, I didn't think I would be in rehab. <laughs> I didn't mean, send, you know, send me to rehab. I meant send me home. And I'm like, well, would you have quit using? Had you gone home? Well, no. <laughs> but I told God I would. And sometimes God gives us what we need rather than what we want. But we make contracts. We say, God, just do this. If you do this, I will do this. It's not really what God wants from us. God doesn't want fearful obedience. God wants love. I, I uh, love my wife. I wish my wife would bring me breakfast in bed every morning. Um, I could probably shout at her enough that she might start doing it, right? If I make it unpleasant enough, she might start doing it. She might murder me in my sleep or poison my coffee in the morning too, but like she might. But at the end of the day, is it worth having that way? Obedience is not equal to, like, obedience out of fear is not equal to, like, relationship. It's not the same thing. I, I cannot emphasize this enough. Like, as these folks come back to God and they say, God, we will do these things for you, they're saying it out of fear. Um, and actually, it's a small seed because there's a lot of good stuff happening here, Right? But what happens, this is um, several hundred years before Jesus shows up, and what happens is people start coming along and they start saying, well, wait a minute, what if I walk five miles from home on Sunday or Saturday morning, because that's the real Sabbath, um, like in, for the Jewish people, like if I walk five miles from home, is that work? And, and they'd say, well, that might be work. Well, what if we say you can only walk four and a half miles from home and everything else is work? Okay, let's write that down. And they start coming down, well, wait a minute, I've got mint growing in my garden. Do I have to give God 10% of my mint? Well, I better do that to be safe, right? And they, they develop these huge, elaborate sets of laws. There's a book set, um, the, the, the Talmud. Um, I have a copy of the Babylonian Talmud. It's like 26 volumes of rules. 
26 volumes. Anybody want to live that way? No. But these folks would memorize them and could recite them off the cuff. They were that committed. And they were committed basically out of fear, saying, God, I will do these things. Please don't kill us. Not what God wants out of us. Um, when we come into the time of Christ, Christ comes along. He says, listen, you people who are hanging around and afraid of the law, the law is a good thing because it tells you how to have a relationship with God. But don't do it out of fear. Do it because you love God. Right? Don't mistreat your neighbor because you don't want God to step on you. Don't mistreat your neighbor because God loves them. Hey, if you've got enemies, God created them too. And so you're not supposed to like sit around and hate them. It's easy to do. But love them like God made them. Man, that's awful, isn't it? Um, and it's hard. Um, and the other thing that we discover along the way, I told you I was going to bring it up again, um, is that we're awful at it. Right? Um, over the years, I've been married for 18 years. And I am blo- 17 years. I've known my wife for 18. Is that right? Um, and I spend a lot of time thinking about what it means to be a good husband, right? And a lot of what I come up with is being a good husband is a lot like what I'm not. Um, but I'm working on it. I'm trying. I'm striving to be better, right? I read books and I pray and I talk to people. And at the end of the day, like, I can only look back and say, I have got a lot of time like this, right? I got a lot of time where I was a pretty pretty crappy husband. And there is nothing in the world I can do to make that right. Everybody with me? As a follower of God, I've got a lot of time like this. I got a lot of time where I where I did what I wanted. Where I said, Well, God will be okay with this because I'm okay with it and it's what I want, and surely God wants what I want. I can never, ever, ever, ever call a rock back that I've thrown, right? If I throw a rock at Jim, can't make it come back. Do you understand? I can never unbreak the lid to this teapot. I can't do it. What I can do, and actually I have two options, don't I? Anybody remember that? Anybody still awake? I can glue this thing back together because I have most of the pieces, or I can have the potter make another one. Right? And so I could replace it entirely because I have a phone number for the cards. I'll cut myself if I get it out. Um, the card's in there somewhere. I can almost see it through the pieces. Um, I can have a new one made or I can glue it back together. But if I glue it back together, I'm always going to look at it and say, oh, yeah. Because it's not going to look right, is it? Not at all. Every one of us rebels against God. If you are sitting in the room today looking at the people around you and saying, these people really need to hear this because they're not as good as me, perk your ears up. If you are sitting here thinking of specific times where you've dropped it, where you wish, man, I, I know about this. There's that thing I think about at 4 in the morning when I can't sleep. And I can never make it right. It will always be that way. Um. A while back, what my wife said to me, we were talking about this. I said, you know what? I have this ideal version of what I should be, and I'm not it. And I've got years of breaking it. And my wife said to me, and watch this. This is huge. She says, listen, that's why we need Jesus, right? 
because God recognizes that I sin. He sends his son to die on the cross for me, literally to take punishment in my place. And if I believe in him and commit to following him, I give my life to him, um, two things happen. First off, spiritually, he's the potter, right? He made everything. He makes me new. Spiritually, from the day I start following Jesus, there's a brand new lid, and it's not as tacky as the one that was on here. It'll be perfect. However, physically, I grow and I change and I become something better. I spend my life striving to not be this. And so I'm a better husband today than I was three years ago, right? I'm a better husband today than I was ten years ago by a long shot, right? <laughs> um, in five years, I'll be an even better husband. Because I'm working hard? No. Because I swear today I will do better and I'm going to write it on a piece of paper? No. It's because there's a part of me that's dead in Christ. Like when Jesus died, my sin dies with him. And there's a part of me that's being remade into something better. Anybody who is a follower of Jesus is somebody who's being remade into something better than what they were. And when we back up and we look, and no matter what, I'm going to glue this back together. Anybody who visits my office is going to see. I actually am breaking it into smaller pieces doing this. I realize that's a bad idea. Um, They're going to see this teapot. They're going to see my glued together lid, right? And I'm going to say, someone came along and glued the lid together. They fixed it. And when people look at my life and they say, man, you've got it together. And I could say, yeah, but I used to drink too much. And I used to, you know, I used to do all sorts of things I shouldn't do. Temper and mean and self-centered and, and everything else. Like, I used to do all of these things, but I'm not that way because of Jesus. Jesus glued me back together. Um, we don't swear I'll do better tomorrow by trying really hard. Do we have to try? Yes. But you cannot try hard enough to make this never have been broken. You need Jesus for that. Because Jesus dies for us and we're recreated in him when we commit to following him. Um, Do we need to sign contracts? Do we need to swear publicly? Actually, God provides us that. Isn't that crazy? Like, we don't live under under these kinds of contracts. Um, When we follow Jesus and we're baptized, right? The Bible tells us that that is... Me, like it's a symbol of me dying to my old life and coming to life as a new person. So that I can live out of fear, obeying the law, so God won't squish me? No. So that I can operate like family with God, because we're literally adopted into God's family as his sons when that happens. When you are like dead to your old self and you're alive in Christ, like you're adopted. I think if I ran a business, I would want my son to take over when I'm done, because... um, He's smarter than me, for starters. He's only two. It's terrible. Um, but secondly, he's going to come along, and he's going to look, and he say, this is my father's business, and I'm going to do it right, right? Does my son have more reason to run my business right than an employee? Well, of course, right? Um, in the same way as an adopted son of God, as somebody who's brought into the family, not because I'm awesome, but because... God adopts me and brings me in and makes me whole despite the garbage I've gone through, despite the awful things that have happened to me, despite everything, every moment that's happened, God brings me back and he makes me his. And I look and say, you know what? I really want to be a part of this and I want to do right by God. I want to like 
I want to treat my wife right because she's a gift from God, right? I want to not cheat people because people look at me and they say, hey, aren't you a minister? It's true, isn't it? Like people as ministers, it's an awful job because people look at you and say, wait a minute, you just cut me off. Aren't you supposed to be like Jesus? And I shake my teapot out the window. Um, (laughs) My point here, the Israelites are coming to a place where they realize we've broken this. And they're committing to doing better. Um, We're called to recognize that we're broken and to commit our lives to becoming like Jesus by allowing God to take control, by allowing God to take the wheel, by allowing, I hate that, I'm sorry, I didn't, shouldn't have said, Jesus, take the wheel, um, by allowing God to be in control, by allowing God to like, like say, hey, you're the boss, I'll follow you, work through me, make me different, show me where I'm broken and I'll, and I'll work on it, like I'll, I'll pursue you in everything, like that is how we become like him. Um, not by trying hard, not by signing contracts, um, but by recognizing that we rebel, by recognizing that we sin, by recognizing that we're not perfect, and by allowing Jesus to fix the mess that we're in. Paul actually uses the same analogy, right? Paul, uh, in Second Corinthians, watch this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Watch this. Jars of clay could also mean cracked pots, right? Like, if I were to put my life savings in that thing, the pot didn't make it happen. I did, right? God glues me back together to demonstrate his greatness, makes me new and, and like him to demonstrate his greatness. Um, and then when people see me and they see that I'm different than I was, um, they can see how awesome God is. And so as awful as I am, If I focus on how awful I was and not focus on how Jesus makes me new, um, I get lost. All of us are called to pursue this. This is the life we're given. This is what Nehemiah demonstrates for us. New creation in Jesus. We are really long today, I'm sorry, um, because we started late. Um, But I want to finish with um, a challenge. And uh, Can you do one verse of the last song for me, Larry? Um, and I and I will stop talking in just a moment. Um, my challenge for you today with this is, first off, to take a moment to look at your heart, to take a moment to look at your soul, to take a moment to look at who you are and ask yourself, am I gluing my pot back together? Am I allowing God to bring me to this place? Or am I looking at how awful everybody else's pottery is? Right? Am I ignoring what God has done for me in favor of what I want? Um, or am I striving to become something better? Bible, Jesus actually demonstrates this. It's called discipleship. It's where you live your life working on becoming like Jesus, right? His disciples did it, and then they brought people along who learned to be like Jesus from them. And then the next generation did it, and the next generation did it, because that's what it means to follow Jesus. If you're a person who has never tried to be like Jesus, my challenge for you today is to work on it. If you're a person who has areas to work on, I had you write on pieces of paper, this is what I need to fix. If you, it was like three weeks ago, so probably everybody's forgotten by now. If you've got something on your piece of paper or would write something down this morning, um, my challenge for you is to look at your heart and say, am I working on this? Am I helping Jesus glue this back together? Have I confessed it to God? Am I trying or have I given up? Um, if you've given up, are you just giving up because like it's too hard for you to do yourself? Um, Larry's going to play the one last song, which will be Closer Walk With Thee. Um, And 
when he's done, you're dismissed. Um, my encouragement for you is to take a moment to pray and ask, what do I need to do to have that walk? Um, and if you feel so inclined, if you feel driven, you say, well, this is what I need to do. There's no contract to sign. There's no nothing like that. Um, take a moment to say it to someone around you or stand up while you're singing the song if that's who you need to be. If you've got a broken thing or a sinful thing or a hurt thing or some kind of garbage sitting in your life and you need Jesus to be in control of it, stand up and sing the song. Um, and otherwise, you can talk to one of us. Um, Larry's a good person. I'm around. There are folks all around you who can help you grow. If you need somebody to help you grow, talk to us, and we'll help you. Um, stand Well, no, don't stand up. Stay seated. Stand up if you feel driven. Um, but I'm going to close with a blessing. May the God who recreates his people make you into his sons. May he glue you back together and make you into a restored and beautiful work of art, um, even though you might look like a crackpot. Amen.